when I was uh, first born, the day I was born, I was not expected to live more than that day. I had some kind of heart heart thing, which the doctors could tell I had, but there wasn't anything that could be done about it. Nowadays, they, they do surgery, even on a newborn infant, to solve the problem that I had, but there wasn't any such thing as open-heart surgery in 1960. <laughs> well, now you know how old I am. I was born on a Wednesday, and on a Wednesday night, in the church my mother was a part of, my father, by the way, was at sea. <laughs> he was uh, doing some kind of training or another in the, in the Marine Corps, so he wasn't home. But there was a prayer meeting in the church, as it's kind of typical in the States to have a prayer meeting on a Wednesday. There was a group of people gathered together. They heard about me, what was happening, and they prayed. And here I am. Now, those are all facts. Those are all indisputable facts. I was born that day. I had this condition. These people prayed. And I did not die that day, as I was expected to. Now, my question for you is, to what do you attribute my survival? And that is a divisive question. That's a divisive question. I think most of the people I'm speaking to, they hear, well, a group of people prayed for you, and you got well as a group of people prayed for you, and God healed you. And that is certainly how I interpret that set of facts. Not everyone would interpret that set of facts that way. There's people who don't believe there is a God, and there are people who might believe there is a God and don't believe that's what happened to me that day. It's a divisive question. And Jesus is talking in the passage we're looking at today, in John chapter 15, about uh, divisive issues. He's talking about things that divide. In fact, the thing he's talking about that divides is himself. Let's just uh, read this. I'm going to read from John 15, starting in verse 20, and on into chapter 6. First five verses of chapter 6. Now, I might get a little distracted because it's raining. And so it gets kind of noisy in here. I'll, I'm going to try to just, you know, plow through. And I, my understanding is when you're uh, looking at the Facebook stream, <clears throat> you don't hear the rain on the roof that we hear. That's good. John 15. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you, so that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. I'm going to stop there. It's in the middle of a sentence, but we're going to talk about what comes after that next time. There's a question I want to ask for you to have in mind this morning as we talk about this text. And that question is the question in the psalm. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Now, Jesus, as we noticed last time, is talking about uh, the persecution that the disciples should expect in the world. He says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They will do these things to you for my name's sake. And we talked about this last time because they don't know the one who sent Jesus. Now, the one who sent Jesus is God, God the Father. And this is a big theme in the book of John, that Jesus is sent by God. Jesus says something interesting here. He says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. 
Now he's saying that he's not saying they wouldn't be sinners except that I came. That's not what he means. But what he does mean is they wouldn't be judged, convicted, condemned as they are uh, in light of his coming. They don't know the one who sent me. And so he says, now they have no excuse. Now that God himself has shown up. And he says later, they've seen God when they saw me, but they didn't recognize God as God. There's, there's three things Jesus does here in this text. He came and spoke. He said, if I have not come and spoken, and then in verse 24 he says, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did. So we have these three testimonies, these three witnesses of Christ. He came, he was born. The word of God, the eternal son, was born as a man. He came. He was sent and he came. And he spoke. When, when he spoke, he spoke the word of God. He says this repeatedly in the book of John. I don't say anything except what the Father gives me to say. And then last of these things, he's, he says he did these works. Now, in the book of John, uh, there's seven miracles. And we could probably count a couple more, but these are the main ones. He turned water into wine. That was the first miracle. He healed an official son. He healed an invalid at the pool. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He healed the blind man in Jerusalem. And then finally, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, these people that Jesus is talking about when he says, you know, they wouldn't have sin if I hadn't shown up and done these things, they witnessed all of these things. But they did not recognize the hand of God. These works divided people. I think the miraculous works of God Sorry, got a little gnat problem here. The miraculous works of God always divide people. What do people make of these things? Well, they certainly divided these people. And they didn't recognize, he says this repeatedly in this text, they didn't know me and they didn't know the Father who sent me. See, the world did not recognize him. His own people, it said in verse in chapter 1, the very opening, the introduction of the whole Gospel of John, he says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And we talked about this last week. The whole Gospel of Jesus Christ is stupid to Gentiles as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, and a scandal, a stumbling block to the Jews. 
Jesus is, as we've mentioned, uh, as we've gone through the book of John, Jesus is a disappointment. He's a disappointing Messiah. He's not the sort of Messiah the Jewish people were looking for. And here's the main thing, the main disappointment you find in Jesus. He does not vindicate self-righteousness. He does not vindicate self-righteousness. He doesn't recognize any righteousness that is not the righteousness of God played out in the life of a person. He doesn't have any honor or respect for righteousness that a human being might produce independently from God. And so he looks at the Pharisees and they're even worse than regular sinners because they have strongly developed a sense of their own righteousness. And Jesus has no respect for that at all. In fact, he calls that what it is, sin. And so these guys, they don't just not recognize Jesus. They actively hate Jesus. And, of course, he's telling us this the night he will be betrayed the following day, these people will see to it that he is crucified, executed. So he doesn't vindicate their righteousness. Now he says, they've seen and hated. They've seen me and hated me. And when they've seen me and hated me, they've seen the Father and hated him too. He says, just as the scripture said they would, they hated me without a cause. They've done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They have done this. They hated me without a cause. That's a quotation from the book of, uh, from the Psalms. There's a couple of Psalms where David is complaining about people hating him without a cause. And John the Apostle applies that psalm to the life of Jesus, the king who in return for goodness receives hatred. And David, of course, is a type of Christ in this sense. He's the, he's the, the, the prototypical Messiah. And Jesus is the fulfillment of David's experience in this sense. He was hated without cause. We read this in Isaiah 53 this morning. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid, hide their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. We esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. So Jesus says, I came, I spoke, and what, I end, what Jesus ends up doing in showing up, in performing these signs, and in speaking the forth the word of God, he condemns sin. And especially the self-righteous sin 
of the culture in which he came, his own people, the Pharisees, the Jews. And he says, they hated me for it. And, of course, already we're in the context where he's telling us, and they're going to hate you for it also. And then we have this. When the helper comes, or in one translation it says the advocate, the comforter, it's our word for the spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes to our side. When the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify. Now, did Jesus just change the subject? And by the way, he's, so he's talking about the Spirit, and then, right, as he keeps going, he, cha- he goes back. He says, these things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make, they'll cast you out of the synagogue. And so he's still talking uh, about disciples, the disciples being persecuted. So what is this helper coming in the middle here? Is it like it? In fact, some people think it's just stuck in here later on. We don't think that. This is directly relevant to what he's talking about. When the helper comes, he will testify. The paraclete, he will bear witness of me. Now, Jesus tells us some interesting things about the Holy Spirit. He says, I will send him to you from the Father. And so the Spirit is sent by Jesus and proceeds from the Father. He proceeds from the Father. And very interestingly right here, that word proceeds is a present tense word, and it means He is, in fact, proceeding from the Father as Jesus speaks. In fact, this is an eternal quality of the Holy Spirit. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. This is what you hear in the uh, Western version of the Nicene Creed. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and that's an eternal relation. He is the third person of the triune God. Oh, and he says, he, not it. He will testify about me. Now, I want to say something about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's function is in the life of the church and in the world today. It's right here. He testifies about Jesus. That is what he does. And that is the goal of all that he does. He points attention to Christ. He points our attention to Christ. He testifies about Christ. So he says, the helper, the advocate, the paraclete, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also testify. Now, this is telling us something about the disciples. The the Spirit comes. Oh, this is like what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. He says, now, wait here in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. 
And when the Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be what? My witnesses. Oh, witnessing, a witness is the noun form of this word, testify. A witness, witnesses. That's the word testify here. So you also bear witness. Now this verb actually, it's hard to tell in English translation, but it's actually an imperative verb. It's a commandment. So when the paraclete comes, he will testify to Christ. You testify also. Disciples, this is the commandment. You also bear witness to me. Because, he says, you've been with me from the beginning. So now we know Jesus is speaking directly, and this applies most directly to those disciples who are with him when he said this. He says, when the Spirit comes, you'll be my witnesses. Well, the Spirit is still here, and we're still his witnesses. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is the first witness in this text, right? He came, he spoke, he demonstrated. They didn't recognize him. They didn't listen to his testimony, which is that he is the one sent from God, the Savior, the Messiah. They don't, they disregard his testimony. They, re, they regard him as a false Messiah. He's the first witness. His witness is divisive. He says, look, I've done these signs, and let me tell you how we account for these things. It is God who is working in me and through me. Everything I say is something God the Father says. I'm telling you, I'm accounting for what I say by credit to God the Father. And this divided people, and people, these disciples, they believed in him. They trusted this. They, they agreed that these things were from God. On the other hand, there were those who took the opposite view. And Jesus is announcing that this division will continue and will become so strong, in fact, has already become so strong, that it will result in his death and theirs. You will bear witness, he says. And guess what the effect of the witness of the Spirit and the witness of his disciples will be? Well, it will be the same kind of announcement of judgment that Jesus testifying about himself was. Now, what we announce is good news. But as we read from 1 Corinthians last week, we preach Christ crucified. Is, that's good news. It's the power of God for salvation to those who believe. But to the Greeks, it's stupid. And to the Jews, it's wrong. The stumbling block. We can't have a dying Messiah. Come on. Messiah's... Come, is supposed to come and vindicate Israel. 
vindicate our righteousness among the nations. And Jesus doesn't do that. As we bear witness to Jesus, we're also announcing the judgment of sin. You can't have the announcement of the good news apart from the bad news. They must always go together. When I tell someone that Jesus is their savior, I'm telling them that they need a savior and no one wants to hear that. I didn't want to hear it except for the paraclete who somehow opened my eyes to see the truth of it. It's very loud in here. Now, Jesus goes on. He says, the Spirit will bear witness. You'll bear witness. And I'm telling you this so that you will be kept from stumbling. In other words, so that you will continue to bear witness in the face of the persecution that will certainly come as you testify about me. So he says, I'm telling you this to prepare you for that. And in fact, we know that this did prepare them for that. That these, these men were faithful and in the face of even their own death, they continued to testify to the goodness of God's grace in Christ. He says, they'll throw you out of the synagogue. A time is coming when if someone kills you, they will think they're doing God a favor. Of course, the history of the church is full of examples of people who killed Christians in the name of God. <laughs> it's very hard to keep talking with all this racket. <laughs> So, what Jesus is telling the disciples here is, knowing this in advance, knowing the divisiveness of the testimony of Christ, knowing that this will, that people will either love it or hate you for it, knowing this in advance will sustain you when the time comes, when you need it. He says they're going to they're going to do this because they don't know the Father and they don't know me. Now, here's something I haven't mentioned up until now, but I think it's very interesting. The word here for witness or testify, the word in the book of Acts, you will be my witnesses. That word is the word martyr. You see, we call martyrs martyrs because they're witnesses. And what you see happening when uh, one of these disciples gives his own life for the proclamation of the gospel, what's happening is a great witness that's what's happening 
a powerful witness because these men willingly chose death rather than to give up on the testimony of the gospel. And so this is a great declaration of the value of knowing Christ. The value, they, they won't give up Christ in order to have their own life. That's a powerful witness. We sang this, uh, oh my goodness, I can't even hear myself. <laughs> Thank you. We sang this song earlier. The title of the song is a question. The question is, is he worthy? All of these men were called upon to answer that question with their own lives. And so they gave a powerful witness when they gave their own life for the sake of the gospel. I just wanted to uh, read uh, the story of one of these men that was uh, recorded way, way, way a long time ago by uh, uh, Bishop Jerome. And he tells the story of Andrew. Now, and so I'm, I'm going to read a translation of that story. This comes from... Uh, the, the source of this for me is uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. <clears throat> this is what we read. According to tradition, Andrew, who was Peter's brother and the first follower of Jesus. So when Jesus says, you were with me from the beginning, that was most true of Andrew. He says, according to tradition, Andrew preached the gospel in the region north of the Black Sea. Uh, that would be like southern Russia in today's world. And also in various parts of Greece. And his life ended in the Greek city of Patras, where he was crucified, crucified by Aegeus, the governor of that region at the time. Andrew was a diligent preacher of the gospel and, and brought many people to faith in Christ. When Aegeus, the governor, heard about this, he came to Patras to put an end to the Christian movement. To do this, he enforced a legal requirement that everyone worship the Roman gods. He didn't have to enact any new laws for that. He just had to enforce some laws that existed. So everyone was required to worship the Roman gods by making sacrifices to them. Andrew immediately decided to resist Aegeus and went to address him. Oh, so Andrew did not wait for someone to come and arrest him for not worshiping the Roman gods. When Aegeus made this proclamation, okay, everyone, all you Christians, you have to come in and worship, make sacrifices to our idols. 
Andrew did not wait around until they came to arrest him. He went. He went to see the governor. And this is what he said. It would be wise for someone who judges men, Andrew said, to know the one who is his judge, the one who lives in heaven. And once you have known him, you will worship him. Does this not remind you just of what Jesus said, like they are persecuting you because they don't know him? And he says, once you've known him, you will worship him since he is the one true God. In doing so, this judge of men, governor, will turn his mind away from false gods and blind idols. So Andrew is a troublemaker. He doesn't wait around for them to come and get him. He takes it to the governor and he says, look, if you had any wisdom, you would worship the one true God who will be your judge. And if you knew him, there's no way you'd pay any attention to these idols, these false gods, these blind stone figures that you worship. So guess how that made the governor feel? These words from Andrew angered Aegeus. <laughs> Are you the same Andrew that overthrew the temple of the gods, he demanded? Are you the same Andrew that goes around persuading men to believe in superstitions? Do you remember what Paul said? The Greeks regard the gospel of Jesus as stupid. You're going around persuading people to believe in superstitions which Rome has abolished. I've been commanded to put an end to such teaching. Andrew replied by saying that it was indeed a fact that the Roman authorities did not understand the truth. <laughs> the Son of God came from heaven, he said, into the world for man's sake. He taught us that the idols you honor as gods are not only not gods, but are actually cruel demons. They are enemies to mankind, and they teach people nothing except things which offend God. As a result, these people fall into all kinds of wickedness, and when they die, they have nothing to offer God but evil deeds. As you might imagine, the governor was not appeased by what Andrew had to say. Instead, he commanded Andrew to quit teaching and preaching these things immediately. <clears throat> if he refused, he would be crucified at once. Now, think, if you're Andrew, this is the proposition the governor puts to you. And this is what Andrew said. Andrew did refuse to change his mind and replied to the threat of crucifixion by saying, I would not preach the honor and the glory of the cross if I feared the death of the cross. I have to say that again. I would not preach the honor and glory of the cross if I feared the death of the cross. 
Jesus said, they hate me, they'll hate you. So, the sentence of death was pronounced. Andrew was taken away to be crucified for denying the religion of the Roman gods. Men who faced crucifixion, sometimes they went nuts. They lost their minds with fear. They sometimes fainted when they saw the cross. Andrew did not. He spoke these words when he saw the cross. O cross, O cross most welcome and long anticipated. Jesus said, I'm telling you these things so that you will not stumble when your time arrives. And from that day, at least from the day that the Spirit came and Andrew was empowered to be the witness of Christ, he has long anticipated this cross. He says, I come to you, O cross, with a willing mind, with joy and desire, since I am a follower and a student of the one who died on you. I have always loved you and sought to embrace you. And so Andrew gave his life for the love of Christ. Now we use the word martyr. And when we use the word martyr, what we're saying is witness. What does Andrew's sacrifice tell us? What is he testifying to? Well, he just said it. The glory and the honor of the cross of Jesus. He testifies to the great value of knowing Christ. Like Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count everything as given up, as trash, as sacrifice, all everything I used to count as precious I now regard as worthless for the prize of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And he says he wants to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, even his death. These men understood that when they looked into the face of Jesus, they were looking into the face of God and there was nothing that could be done to them that would make them give it up. Last time we asked this question, well, if we're going to be hated for loving Christ or talking about Christ or being belonging to Christ, why do we continue to name the name of Christ? The answer to that question is you can't help it. You can't help it. There's Andrew understood that he already possessed the prize. And he's not giving it up to, to prize his own temporal life. He knows that they can kill him and it won't actually kill him. 
He has the promise of resurrection. He's witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. And so he bears witness. Now, that was that story played out in the lives of, I think, nearly all of the men in Jesus' presence when he spoke these words. It doesn't necessarily play out that way for everyone who follows Jesus. But Paul does say in uh, second, well, one of those letters to Timothy, that everyone who wants to serve God in Christ will be persecuted. And as we bear witness, it has this divisive effect. I think if we share the good news of Christ and we don't see it divide people, we should ask how faithfully we have shared it. Now, sometimes it, all the people are on one side or the other when you happen to share it. That's, you know, okay. But it is a divisive message. It is not just the announcement of salvation. It's the announcement of the need of salvation, which is the announcement of judgment against sin. And if you announce judgment against sin, that will not make you popular. And so we have this same expectation, but we have this same spirit, this same advocate, this same helper, this same paraclete, this one who testifies. And when I say the words, it's really him giving the testimony. It's God himself who works in me to share good news. Good news. Now, sometimes they shoot the messenger. And if you have the opportunity to give your life for the sake of the goodness of the grace of God, you have the opportunity to give the most powerful witness available. And if you suffer a little ridicule, because you have shared the good news of God's grace in Christ, and your willingness to bear that ridicule testifies to the value of knowing Christ. You bear witness for real when it costs you something. We don't know what it will cost you. <laughs> I think the world is, you know, getting more hostile to the message of the gospel. But maybe it's always been hostile. The question is, is he worthy? The question is, do you prize Christ? The question is, do you abide in the vine? That's always the question. No matter what is going on, no matter what situation you're facing, whether it's this situation of being persecuted for, the, for bearing witness or whatever else is going on in your life, Father, we give you thanks for the Lord Jesus, for his sacrifice, 
for his righteousness, for the credit you give us for his righteousness because of his sacrifice. Father, help us to see the prize of knowing the love of God in Christ, to enjoy that, to know it, to be strengthened by it. We pray for the work of the Holy Spirit, as Paul prayed in Ephesians. We pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in us, to know the love of Christ, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Help us to be faithful witnesses to your goodness and grace in Christ and by the Spirit we pray. Amen.